This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue, as always, joined by Lions 24-7 colleagues in just a moment. We have all hands on deck for this episode as we close out this final week of June, a busy month, and we finished it off in strong fashion, four consecutive days at Penn State football facilities last Wednesday through Saturday as the culmination of June camps. There was a Lift for Life event in which we got to talk to some Penn State veterans. Along the way, the Nittany Lions have filled out their freshman class here on campus They've also updated their 2023 football roster as we start to creep up toward preseason camp in early August. And to break down all of this and more, bring in my good friends, Tyler Calvaruso, Mark Brennan, and Daniel Gallon from Lions247.com. And gentlemen, we've spent a lot of time together uh, in recent days over at Penn State's facilities. Tyler Calvaruso came up for an overnight stay. It turned into a three-night stay because of some car issues. So happy to see all of you. We'll huddle up again here on a Tuesday afternoon. Um, and we got to begin with those Friday night fireworks. And Tyler Calvaruso, we begin with you because that recruiting class for 2024 grew on Friday night within a minute of each other. Uh, Tyler, we, we saw uh, wide receiver commits Peter Gonzalez, Josiah Brown join the class. Uh, let's get into them separately in a moment. But what do we think about this pair hopping on board within 48 hours of Ty Sear Denmark starting off that 2024 receiver class? Two names that were high on the board, the staff is ultimately able to close on. Just starting with Josiah Brown, you know, he's still developing into a true receiver. He's played a lot of safety throughout his high school career, and he's definitely lined up on the other side of the ball as well for Holy Trinity up in New York. But really, you know, early in his recruitment, some people had his eye on him as a defensive back, and then it kind of transitioned as his progression went on, where more of a primary wide receiver prospect. He's still learning the position, still working on his hands, but there's a lot of athletic upside with Josiah Brown. Penn State staff saw that. Marcus Higgins prioritized him really throughout the cycle since he arrived on campus. So Brown was a guy the Penn State staff wanted to seal the deal with. They were really able to get that done. Over Rutgers really came down to in the end. He had an official visit scheduled with Georgia wound up not making it. I heard that Georgia was looking at him more as a defensive back. So clearly it was something that popped up really until the end of his process, you know, potentially playing on the other side of the ball. But Penn State liked that wide receiver. It was what they pitched throughout the cycle, and they were able to get it done on Friday night. And then just moving over to Gonzalez, I mean, what a month. It has been for Peter Gonzalez when it comes to where he stands with Penn State, you know, gets to the elite showcase camp during the first weekend of June, kind of secures himself as a take 
for the staff. And he was already, they were already trending in that direction, but he gets to the elite showcase camp, worked with Marcus Hagan throughout an entire afternoon. And that was more than just an evaluation for Penn state. That was an evaluation for Peter Gonzalez as well. You know, he was very interested to see how he would gel with Marcus Hagan's and everything went really, really well. while Gonzalez was in town. And from that point on, I mean, the writing was on the wall. It was really all Penn state, Virginia tech put in a lot of work, to land Gonzalez. They got him on campus before Penn State did. You know, they moved that official visit up. Gonzalez was originally going to be in Blacksburg on June 23rd. He gets there on the 9th. Didn't really do much to move the needle for him. That's how high he was on Penn State throughout his process. So two high ceiling wideouts in this Penn State class now, in addition to Tysir Denmark. And with Gonzalez, I mean, you look at his size, you know, he's a big body wideout on the outside. I think there's definitely a lot of untapped potential with him. You know, people got to remember, he's really just working his way back into action coming off that torn ACL. He played a lot as a junior for Pittsburgh Central Catholic, but I think senior year, you're going to see more of the real Peter Gonzalez. And I think as that transpires, I think Penn State fans are going to be pretty, pretty pleased with the fact that he's part of this class. Gonzalez, right now, number 14 in 24-7 sports rankings for the state of Pennsylvania's 2024 class. But we're going to keep an eye on him because, as you just referenced, he spent his junior season recovering from a torn ACL that he suffered in February of 2022. Really got a chance to start to see him blossoming as an athlete again earlier this summer on the Penn State camp scene. And by the way, seven of the top 14 players in 24-7 sports rankings for the state of Pennsylvania are within this Nittany Lions class for 2024. That includes four of the top five overall, led by Quentin Martin, who we got a chance to see uh, back at camp last Wednesday. We addressed that on the last episode of the podcast. I want to get back to Peter Gonzalez because Mark and and Daniel, we're going to have a a feature coming up on the site later this week to close out June with some of our top performers that we saw firsthand on campus this month. Uh, A bunch of prospects, 2024, 25, 26s. And and this was a guy, Peter Gonzalez, that we all came away from, from that day thinking, yeah, he's going to have that door open. Uh, clearly, the way that he performed, the way he interacted with Marcus Higgins. Mark, what do you make of this pickup? His dad certainly had, had a splashy career at Pitt, went on to play some time in the NFL. But it came down to you know familiar name and Brent Pry and Tyler Bowen down there. Uh, and then here, uh, Marcus Higgins and, and James Franklin able to, to get to the finish line and bring in another big-bodied wide receiver. Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to say I got a flat tire this morning. Uh, it's probably going to take me about 10 minutes to get it fixed this afternoon. Uh, so once I get done with this pot, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you. <laughs> so, sorry, sorry, Tyler. Uh, Ty- Tyler C. had some flat tire issues over over the – over. I, I guess that's the new uh, – that's going to be the new beer of uh, of Lions 247 is going to yep. be flat tire. But, no, yeah. listen, you look at that kid, and even before you watch him run, and I think he was, what, you know – four, five, high four, fives, like four, six, whatever it was, um, just physically the way he looks. You know, you look at, at their receiving room now, and they don't have a lot of really, really big receivers. They have a couple, but the fact that you have a guy that I think is six two, and you could tell he has room to get even a little bit bigger. You know, with receivers, you don't want to get too big, uh, but I just like the size of them. Doing well in Pittsburgh, obviously having that pipeline to Pittsburgh Central Catholic is big. And listen, you know, when your dad has played in the NFL, that doesn't always project success at the college level. But I think Penn State had a uh, a kid whose dad played in the NFL from Pittsburgh not so long ago who actually had turned out well. So I think all those things point to him being a good player. But Tyler hit on a really good point, I think. And I think we have to look at what Marcus Hagans has been able to do as a first-year coach in bringing in this caliber of receivers and getting multiple kids uh, because that's not always an easy thing to do, and I think it speaks to the way that, number one, 
he's fitting in with the rest of that staff. And I think part of that could have been expected because of his uh, prior relationship with Poindexter. Uh, but just the fact that the way he's able to communicate with these kids, we saw it at the one camp or afterward, uh, Hagen specifically spent time working with him. And again, from as Tyler mentioned, you could tell they were both kind of sizing each other up to see, hey, do, do I like the way he operates? Do I like what I'm seeing from him? A and it worked out well, and I think it's a good sign for Penn State's receiver room mo moving forward beyond just this one prospect. And as I just mentioned, and, and as Tyler and I discussed on our last episode of the podcast, Tyser Denmark kicked this thing off while we were on the camp field Wednesday, uh, announcing uh, early evening Wednesday that he was going to you know, be the first wide receiver to take the plunge and join this Penn State class under Marcus Hagan's directions after spending a long time in Oregon's class. And, and Daniel, I want to bring you in on this one because you had a great notebook on this seven-on-seven -seven camp, and we'll talk about a lot of what we saw on Friday in just a bit. But last year, seven on seven, this guy was among the headliners, if not the headliner. But you knew it was going to be a battle. There were other Big Ten schools in that mix. Even back then, Oregon was clearly going to be a contender. He commits to the Ducks. He lands in the Nittany Lions class. What do you make of that kickstart for Marcus Higgins? I think it's a really, really good get for Penn State for a number of reasons. I think the one that you start with is that he's in state from Philadelphia. You know, Tysier Denmark is kind of, you know, that you know, the type of player that you want um, if you're Penn State. And, you know, to start on the, you start the class on the the east side of Pennsylvania, and then you move to the west side with Peter Gonzalez. Um, and the fact that you're bringing in two guys in a class who, you know, seem to have, you know, pretty complementary uh, skill sets. I think that Mark made a good point that when you look in the Penn State wide receiver room right now, um, you know, there isn't really that type of guy like Peter Gonzalez. Um when you when you go through things, it's you know Malik McLean and Malik Mega are you know the big you know six four guys, and then there's everybody else um, who you know is a little bit on the smaller you know a little bit kind of different uh, different body types. So yeah, I think to bring in someone like Tysier Denmark who you know helps you in a in a number of ways, um, you know I think that that seven on seven camp that we saw Denmark at last summer, I think that that really sort of you know set the standard uh, in what you're looking. In, this year in terms of what I was looking for um, out of a wide receiver, you know, thinking back to what Denmark did. Um, so I think for, for Marcus Hagens, I think it's a, it's a really good get. Um, you know, I think that it's a good reminder, you know, with Denmark and Gonzalez that, um, you know, recruiting is a two way street, you know, Penn state can want these guys, but at the same time, these guys have to want to come to Penn state. Um, and I think that that was a, a big takeaway from you know, watching Peter Gonzalez work. Um, with with Marcus Hagens, uh, you know, beyond just that, you know, Penn State wants him, but he has to be able to to trust this position coach. So, yeah, I think that Denmark kicking things off uh, on Wednesday uh, was a was a really good start, and I you know, things change really quickly in recruiting. Uh, going from zero wide receivers to three in just a couple of days is you know, good for this class of twenty twenty four. And a reminder that this group follows a one-man freshman class, Carmelo Taylor, uh, the small speedster in that 2023 cycle. He's on campus now, but he's alone as a freshman wide receiver on scholarship. A couple transfers came to campus with multiple years of eligibility, two of them to be exact, in Dante Cephas and Malik McLean. But you're going to see a much larger wide receiver group forming here as we already have. And what's next there, Tyler Calvaruso? I mean, we can cross Jere Hawkins' name off the list. He made it up to the campus. We saw him uh, at the White House camp. He, he was, you know, checking out team facilities. 
facilities. Spent his 48 hours in town. We'll talk about the other guy who was in campus. Uh, Hardly Gilmore uh, came to campus as well. So one guy off the list, Gilmore's in play. He's a name that we haven't really discussed until he popped up in town last week. Where are we at wide receiver? Because there's a few other names I know you'd like to get to as well. Yeah, Gilmore was at 2025 up until recently. So he wasn't really overly on our radar until he locked in that instead official visit. I've been here in Kentucky for Gilmore really ever since I started doing some digging around on him. I think they did well on the official visit, but Kentucky is the buzz for the school that I keep hearing where his potential landing spot. Florida is involved as well, but I'm not entirely sure that they're pushing hard to land Gilmore at this point as a 2024 prospect. So he's on Penn State's board. The big one is Nick Marsh, who was at Michigan State for his official visit over the weekend. And, you know, it's been well documented, Marsh's relationship at Michigan State. He was committed to the Spartans for a while. They get him back in East Lansing, and things went really, really well. You know, we haven't heard that he gave the Michigan State coaching staff a verbal or anything like that while he was on campus. So Penn State's still in the race in that regard. But I would say that right now, Marsh is probably trending away from landing with the Nittany Lions. I think that's an accurate assessment of where things are at with him. Now, you know, he announces on July 7th, so there are still some things he's going to have to sort through. And Penn State is still very much under heavy consideration. But right now, I think him winding up back at Michigan State is a very real possibility. Beyond March, Alex Taylor was on campus during the week. Midweek official visit, and things went really well with him. I think that's kind of a situation where Penn State definitely helped itself. I'm not sure it's going to be enough for, you know, there's very North Carolina flavor to Taylor's recruitment as a Greensboro native. I think maybe if Penn State ups the ante and pushes harder, it could really give him something to, th- excuse me, something to think about before he announces his decision on July 29th. But definitely some steps in the right direction made with Taylor this weekend and part of that class. I still think that as long as Robinson is committed to Miami, Penn State has a chance just because if he were to flip, I think that's it for him. You know, Florida's the other school in the running for Chance Robinson when it comes to a potential flip. But if he decides to move off Miami and go elsewhere, he doesn't strike me as the kind of kid who's going to move off that second commitment. I don't think he would reopen things beyond that. Even if he were to pick Florida and Florida was to endure a rough season. I think he would stick with that based on what I've been hearing. So those are the names right now. The board is definitely shrinking. You know, at the start of this month, it was much bigger. You know, we had a lot more names to talk about. Now we're getting down to the nitty gritty of it. You know, staff's kind of zoning in on who it really wants and where things are at with its top targets coming out of official visit season. So those are the names to know right now. And we'll see, you know, it's, it's ever evolving still, right? You know, if some of these recruits decide to go elsewhere, Penn State will continue making evaluations and we could see some new names pop up at some point. So Hawkins to the Gators, you've got Gilmore and Robinson to monitor down in Florida still. You've got Alex Taylor out of North Carolina, uh, keeping tabs on him as well. Brian Doan has a piece on the top 24-7 receiver and Taylor up at Lions 24-7 here on Tuesday. Um, so a lot happening at wide receiver. I, I do want to get to the 7-on-7 seven seven tournament, though, because it was a wide receiver uh, slash athlete, we got to label him, because we're not quite sure what he's going to look like in a few years, who really stole the show for me in prime time of the 7-on-7 seven seven tournament, guys. Uh, when Friday early afternoon turned to Friday late afternoon and the, and the fields whittled down to eight or eight or four teams, Elias Cook, uh, Elias Coke, I should say, really showed up. Rising sophomore at Harrisburg, 
six foot two, uh, already pretty well built, put together. Came up with a splash play last year in the state title game. And during the matchup against State College and during the preceding semifinal, um, this is a kid who just showed up with James Franklin and company parked in their golf carts. He left with a scholarship offer. But Daniel, you, Daniel, you followed Coke's day much closer than I did. He turned heads as a freshman, and there's a few of those 2026ers we got to get to at Harrisburg during this conversation. But I came away from this uh, thinking that Elias Koch really needs to be at firmly near the top of the list of names to know within that cycle of rising sophomores here in the state of Pennsylvania. Definitely. And, and Koch was actually at both uh, seven on seven tournaments. Uh, he was with a, a central Pennsylvania team uh, at the first one, but then was back with Harrisburg last week. And, you know, across both of those, uh, both of those seven on sevens, I thought that he just really stood out. Uh, and you know, like you said, you know, he's six foot two, you know, he doesn't look like he just finished his freshman year. Um, you know, the way that he moves, uh, he moves very, very well. Um, he played both uh, both sides of the ball for Harrisburg, uh, lining up at, at safety uh, on the on defense, and you know having that type of athlete at safety, he was very rangy. Um, you know, he was someone on you know kind of playing center field and could kind of you know freelance as he pleased. But you know, offensively, I, I think that that's where you really saw him make an impact. Um, during one of the earlier games, uh, he made a catch along the left sideline that it just really impressed me. Where you know, he, he caught a ball, you know, made a leaping catch in stride, you know, did not break stride, didn't have to, you know, really re reset his feet, turn his body or anything. You know, I think you have to give some credit to Harrisburg quarterback, Sean Lee Jr., uh, the Penn State legacy for, you know, putting the ball in those spots. But, you know, earlier in the day, Elias Koch, you know, he high pointed a ball over a smaller defender, just really made some splash plays. And then, you know, later and uh, later in that championship game made that diving catch uh, along the sideline that got him a handshake from James Franklin. And I think really kind of put the exclamation point on his day. Um, you know, I think that, you know, we started hearing about him a little bit last fall, you know, made those splash plays, like you mentioned against St. Joe's prep in the state championship game um, has a lot of momentum on the recruiting trail this off season. Um, and he comes from a, a program that has produced some very, very high level athletes. So um, he's going to be a fun one to watch over these next couple of years. Um, you know, whether or not he sticks at wide receiver, given how big he is already and, you know, where he is in terms of growing, you know, we'll see. Um, so I think athlete is a good designation for him, but I think that he has established himself as, you know, a really big name to know in Pennsylvania as we move forward. Yeah, Boston College, Florida State, Iowa State, Maryland, Michigan, Michigan State, Pittsburgh, Purdue, Syracuse, Rutgers. Those are some of the other Power Five uh, programs that preceded Penn State in offering the Harrisburg sophomore. And and Mark, uh, your daughter, Grace Brennan, who did a fantastic job, as always, uh, all month long on the camp scene, captured that moment that Daniel was referencing, the diving catch. Now, fortunately, there was no instant replay in this situation. We're not sure if it would have held up uh, under a review, but there was no review. It wasn't a catch. Um, and, and, and you were front and center for a lot of that i'm curious uh, we were anticipating the offer i almost felt like if franklin sends the kid home today without an offer he might never forget that um and of course franklin did give him th that that opportunity what did you come away thinking about coke and, and generally anything else about harrisburg or what you saw in the late stages of this tournament yeah i mean he, he's a football player you know so where is he going to be two years from now size wise yeah. Uh, I, I don't know, but he, you know, he could be six, six and, and whatever. Uh, I mean, he's got a big frame. I, I think we have him listed at six, two, but I think he's taller than that now already. And with these young kids, you know, they could grow at any time. 
But the thing that struck me, and I think that was the thing that struck Franklin, is that he's just out there making plays. When they needed something late in the game, boom, they throw a deep pass to him. I mean, at one point we were watching a game, and didn't he score all three touchdowns for Harrisburg? Yeah. I mean, so he was just getting, game. he was just getting it done. The other guy that 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 stood out to me, not necessarily from Harrisburg, uh, State College is a running back who's being recruited pretty heavily, Deontay Sheffy, but it's very difficult in those for running backs to make a big splash in those seven on sevens. And I thought his teammate Demir Code, I hope I'm pronouncing it right, uh, 26 receiver. I think he really played ex- extremely well. Uh, you know, maybe not to, to Coke's level, and, and he's not quite that size, but he's again another guy who I have no idea what he's run. I could probably ask the state high staff because I'm, I'm friends with some of those guys. Uh, but again, another guy who just looked like a football player when state high needed a play, they were going to him and he was making plays all over the place. And I, I almost felt bad for Sheffy because, again, for a running back in those situations, if you're not a natural receiver, in a seven-on-seven, seven, I mean, for people who don't realize that there's no running game. It's you know called a passing camp for a reason. Everybody's mm-hmm. passing. But he really stood out to me as well. I thought he had a, a really nice – I thought between Coke and Code, I thought those were the two best players that I saw toward the end of that tournament. There were some other guys during the tournament whose teams weren't quite as good. But at the end, those are the guys who stood out to me in that Final Four. And, and the guy who really caught all of our attention late as well at the running back position was Lewis Dillard, uh, rising sophomore at Harrisburg. Keep an eye on this guy. I mean, the, the defenses were clearly shifting toward Coke uh, in the late stage of this tournament, and they just, I mean, they were getting burned uh, by Lewis Dillard. I'm not sure what his size is right now. I think five, yeah. six, five, seven range, yeah. but he has a lot of speed. And on a program like Harrisburg, where there are weapons across the field, I think he is a name to know at the running back position in Pennsylvania. We talked a lot about wide receiver in the 2024 cycle just now but Tyler Calvaruso there was a notable one from 2025 I want to get to here in state Mikey Scott from Dallastown Pennsylvania he was one of our camp darlings of the 2022 season here in Penn State uh, and now he's gotten a chance to come back he he certainly improved upon his 40-yard dash time uh, when he tested during his most recent visit he's a guy who very much is interested in the Nittany Lions he keeps coming back for games for camps every opportunity he can where do they stand? Because it feels like it's been a bit of a flirtation process with a 2025 receiver to this point. Yeah, he's definitely running a lot better than he has in the past. When Last summer when he was running the 40 at Penn State, he was in the 4-7 range, which we thought was pretty surprising just based on watching him move during drills and in one-on-ones. He plays a lot faster than that 4-7 number. Penn State staff got with him after all those camps and told him, you know, we would like to see if you, you know, get a little bit better in the 40, you know, kind of refine your technique in that area and, you know, put up some better numbers. And he has, he's responded. He's running in the four or five range now. So that's definitely a positive for the Penn State staff on multiple fronts. You not only see the guy getting faster, you see him willing to put in the work and taking that coaching and that advice. So that's something that definitely appeals to the Penn State staff. Anytime you get a guy like that, who's so willing to get better and, you know, learn and improve where he's asked to improve. The thing with Mikey Scott is him being a smaller guy. I think um, we, I mean, we saw it during his final game of the afternoon on Friday. You know, there were some passes that he probably should have called in that he ultimately didn't. And I think that while he's definitely gotten better in the speed department and his route running is really crisp and he's tough to deal with in the open field. I mean, he's not only fast, he's really shifty. And you you see a little bit of that in a seven-on-seven setting, but you go watch his tape especially. You see a guy 
who makes defenders miss with relative ease quite frequently. So that's definitely an element of his game that a lot of college stats like. But I think maybe, you know, the hands need to improve a little bit. I think that's an area that he kind of needs to work on. But Mikey Scott's definitely a really intriguing prospect to me in that 25 class. Not just because he's a Pennsylvania kid. I mean, he's got multiple Power 5 offers now. This time last summer, he was still working his way onto the radar. He also hit a little bit of growth spurt. He was around 5'8 last summer. I think he's like 5'10 now. So that's definitely helped him as well. But he's uh, he's on Power 5 radars. And he's definitely on Penn State's radar. And there's been contact and there's been, you know, conversations had at these camps and these 7-on-7s. So I, I think he's a name we're going to be talking about a lot moving forward because the evaluation with him seems to be ongoing. It's been that way for a while. And at this point, I would anticipate that's an evaluation that continues throughout Scott's junior season. And Scott recently has worked in tandem with Kenny Johnson, who signed with Pitt. Uh, so it's going to be a new kind of part of his career now at the high school level of being the, the clear top option within an offensive scheme is, is where he's at right now. Um Another guy to track uh, moving forward from this tournament. Before we, we close shop on the seven-on-seven seven conversation, Daniel, you had a quarterback that I know you were intrigued by uh, going into the weekend that you got a long look at. Discuss him a little bit if you'd like and any other names that you don't want to leave kind of in the notebook on the site you want to throw on the table here on the show a little bit. Definitely. Uh, Matt Zollers uh, out of uh, Spring Ford in, in Royersford, Pennsylvania. Uh, southeastern Pennsylvania kid. Uh, he earned his his first D1 offer on Friday from Old Dominion. Uh, Ricky Ronnie and the ODU staff were uh, were in town, uh, as you can hear the uh, lawnmower Train outside here. of my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, no, Zollers was was very crisp. Uh, you know, he was really able to. He had good arm strength. He really spread the ball around. He had a really nice supporting cast. Um, Ryan Kirshner is a Class of 2026 tight ends, uh, who had a really big, really big body, uh, was someone that Sollers looked to a lot in the red zone and often delivered. Um, and just kind of as you went through the day, I just was really impressed with Zollers, the way that he handled himself, the way that he threw the ball. Um, you know, it's that arm strength really jumped out to me. Um, he had Mike Yersich's attention. Uh, Yersich was following around Spring Ford at one point, and when you know, Zollers is on the field. Gersich would be on the field walking down behind the spring forward uh, offense. And then when the spring forward defense would come onto the field, Gersich would go back to the golf cart. Making um, phone and, calls. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, you know, whether he graduates above that, you know, G5 type of prospect, we'll see. But, you know, I think it's the type of player that you see at these camps that you, know, you can see that this is a college football player, um, you know, Water finds its level. I think that's the type of kid that's going to find a home. Um, you know, there's a really good game between Spring Ford and Malvern Prep. Uh, Malvern Prep quarterback Skylar Smith, class of 2025. Um, he made some nice throws. Uh, Zade Johnson, 2025 wide receiver from Malvern Prep. Uh, he was not on our radar uh, when the day started. Uh, there are a couple other guys on Malvern Prep who, um, you know, we were really looking for, but. You know, Zay Johnson was someone who every time I think me and Grace were watching a game early and we had to go, OK, we need to figure out who that is. Um, just the way that he was making catches a little bit smaller. But I think Malvern is one of those programs that does a really nice job of putting guys at, you know, either the G5 level or or the FCS level. And, you know, they typically have success. So, um, you know, I think that those were guys that that stood out to me that we haven't talked about yet. And then. I would just highlight uh, Wydeek Collier, 
Uh, he's a six foot five wide receiver at Newman Garetti, class of 2026. That's someone we're probably going to be hearing about uh, later on. So um, I'll, I'll mute myself now and we don't have to listen to the yard work anymore. Well, uh, good stuff, Daniel. And you have a full notebook, very comprehensive look uh, that other guys chipped in for, but Daniel carried the, the, the heavy weightlifting for these notebooks over the course of June. And we appreciate that. And while a lot of the tournament was taking place over on the intramural fields here at Penn State, I was over at Penn State's practice facilities where the big fellows were getting to work with the second big man challenge of the month. And fortunately, there were no lightning delays this time. And fortunately, it was a heck of a group that we got a chance to watch up close. And The story here was the underclassmen in the state of Pennsylvania and their ascension on the offensive line. And and we saw a young defensive lineman as well that that I wanted to spotlight here. But uh, Tyler Calvaruso spent a lot of time with me. And, um, you know, I thought the the, the name that popped up to me and Tyler and I talked about this when we got back to my house after all these camps. And, you know, who was the, the guy that you would pick to be the number one NFL draft prospect from everything we saw on 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 Friday when you had all the tournament going on and you had bunch of linemen on campus and we both were in agreement that Kevin Brown uh, Harrisburg rising offensive tackle right tackle for them last year as a true freshman when they went to the state championship game guy was 240 pounds and is absolutely shredded at this stage of his career. He's the younger, uh, or he is the son of a former West Virginia offensive tackle, Tim Brown, who went on to play some professional football. And Tyler, I am convinced based on what we saw with our own eyes, what he did on the field last year as a freshman, and perhaps most importantly, some of the feedback that we both got from Penn State staff members who evaluated Brown on Friday, the sky's the limit for him, and get ready to line up because there's going to be a large crowd of power five suitors for this kid by the time he gets through his sophomore season. Yeah, some people listening right now probably think it's really outlandish that we're discussing NFL draft potential for a kid who's gearing up for his sophomore season. But the fact of the matter is you go just take one look at Kevin Brown and look at his frame, and then you go watch him move during drills and in one-on-ones, and it really, really stands out to you. I mean, this kid, he's already pushing 6'6", 240, and he's like – he's built man he is jacked and he moves so well like he just has everything that you really want in a high-end tackle prospect and he got the job done as a freshman at Harrisburg you know he wasn't just playing on that offensive line he was having his way with opposing defensive linemen and I think he's only going to keep getting better you know he's going to get out to a lot of these camps he's going to work with these coaches he's going to continue fine-tuning aspects of his game and he's also got his dad to you know as a springboard for ideas on how to get better his dad was a successful lineman like you mentioned at West Virginia so I think uh there's a lot of potential there and yeah the feedback that we received from the Penn State staff on Kevin Brown kind of says it all you Mm -hmm. know in regarding to his potential standing on the board moving forward and the potential that the staff sees in him so Kevin Brown's a name we're going to be talking about a lot and I I know we say that about a lot of in-state kids but we're talking about a prospect who could potentially be Penn State's top tackle target in 26 when it's all said and done. I mean, you watch Brown, it's hard not to, you know, wonder when we rank the 2026 class, Mm -hmm. where does he check in? Yeah. I think he's definitely going to be a top 24 seven guy. I think he's got that in him. He might be even higher than higher. Yeah. I think significantly higher, you know, that's 50 maybe at this point. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's definitely got that upside to him. And, it's going to be interesting because there's going to come a point where his recruitment becomes national. And, you know, how does that impact things? I think that Penn State is going to be right there with him for the duration of his recruitment. Penn State was his first offer, and uh, the staff's pretty happy that they made that happen. 
Yeah, Penn State not regretting that decision last December to offer Kevin Brown early stages of his sophomore year. And I talked to Elias Koch, by the way, who is his teammate, and those are two to watch for the next few years at Harrisburg together. They're going to chase some championships, and they're going to be chased by a lot of Power 5 programs. Uh, but he really lauded the way that Brown attacks the practice field every day. And we're talking about a freshman going on sophomore, bringing that kind of uh, mentality. A, a lot to like about the combination. And I learned on the, on the camp field on Friday, Kevin Brown's only played football for two years. They knew he was going to play football. They knew it was inevitable he was going to be playing football at the high school level, but they didn't rush him into the sport. And in fact, they didn't really, uh, they kind of held him off from, from jumping into pads until he was 13, 14 years old. And now here he is being discussed among the best in the state within his cycle. Tyler Merrill was also there, Cumberland Valley sophomore. We saw him lined up uh, on the interior, taking some snaps at center under the supervision of Phil Troutwine. He's another in the 2022, uh, 2026 class, probably the biggest overall kind of body at six foot five, 310 pounds uh, right now, three years ahead of him at the high school level. But the name that we got to focus in on here for a bit, I wrote about him on Monday and uh, Grace Brennan did a fantastic job documenting a lot of this with, with her photos on Friday uh, was Josh Williams out of the Haverford school uh, near Philadelphia. We're talking about a six foot four, 300 pound kid who came to campus, ran a five, one in the 40 yard dash. And he has a history in the track, uh, track department. He's run the hundred meter dash for the last few years. Um, he actually favors that over throwing events in track and field, which you don't hear from offensive linemen ever. Um, and this is a guy who left campus after 20 uninterrupted minutes with Phil Troutwine, 10 of those minutes, uh, he was joined by James Franklin and general manager, Andy Frank. After all that goes down, an offer comes his way. He gets a chance to chat with Olu Fashionu, Caden Wallace, Drew Shelton out there on the field. His parents and his uncle are involved. And oh, by the way, dad, uncle, both Penn State graduates. Uh, dad's crying when they get home because he's overcome with joy. And admittedly, Josh Williams is a Penn State fan. He has sat down on Saturdays for several years to watch the Nittany Lions play ball. I'm sure he has heard his dad shout things at James Franklin that were not so kind. But dad was all smiles on Saturday, on Friday when this offer came. It was really cool to watch it play out. And Tyler, you saw it there with me. I mean, we were tracking this thing from start to finish. And I think those who, who followed our live updates thread really got to see how it works out. This is a kid who told me in May he thought Ivy League was his ceiling. And that's a good ceiling. It's a 4.0 student. He's the class president at, at, uh, at Haverford School. But he thought that was it for, for football. He didn't think Power 5 was really going to be on his radar. Boston College gave an out-of-the-nowhere offer, is the way he phrased it, in mid-May coming to his school. And he thought, well, I wasn't going to go to any prospect camps. I guess maybe I'll see what's out there. He's gone to three camps, guys. Virginia, Nebraska, Penn State. All three of those schools said, here's a scholarship offer. Let's keep in touch. Tyler, what did you take away from our time watching Josh Williams, who's in the 2025 class at Haverford? You know, of all these camps we've covered, you know, I mean, we've seen individual workouts take place with the staff on the side before. I'm not sure we've seen them take place for that long. With mm -hmm. Williams was drilling individually with the staff. Phil Trollin was out there. James Franklin was out. Andy Frank was playing a, a part in these drills. That went on for about maybe a half hour. And then we got to see the conversations between the Penn State staff and the Williams family and just everything that went along with that. I mean – the fact that he thought he had an Ivy League ceiling and now he's got these, uh, got all these offers, it's a pretty cool story, man. You know, that's one of the great parts of recruiting. We get stories like this all the time. And he's definitely uh, he's definitely a notch above an Ivy League talent, I can tell you that. I mean, you look at his testing numbers, he's running around 5-1 in the 40 at his size, which is just ridiculous. I mean, he runs the 100 meter and he fares pretty well for a big kid. I think there's a sub lot 13 of seconds. Yeah, yeah, we mean, don't talk about sub 13 seconds in the 100 meter dash much, but we will here. That's pretty yeah, good. Like that's that's just absurd. And 
there's a lot, he's still definitely developing as an offensive lineman. I think there's a lot of clay there for any power five coaching staff to work with, but I mean, you know, we'll see if he makes it back to Penn State for another camp. I'm sure he will. We'll see if he makes it to other camps, but this is not going to be the last high-profile offer for Josh Williams. I think Mm -hmm. a player with that athletic profile who drills as well as he does and has put together, I got the chance to check out some of his film. It's pretty solid, and it's only going to keep getting better as he can just grow into his body and just continue to grow as an offensive lineman. So, Williams, you know, he's one of those offers where you keep a really close eye on it now that it's out there, just given all of the background that you laid out regarding the affinity for Penn State and how he grew up in a Penn State household, essentially. These are factors that, you know, if a commitment were to come down the road, we point back at when we're discussing it. But Williams, he's definitely going to go through his process and see what else comes about. But you got to like where Penn State is at early, and it's going to be exciting to see how he continues to develop as a prospect. He referred to it as a, a tricky dichotomy in terms of having one side of your brain say, oh, my gosh, this is the team you grew up loving. Jump at this offer. What are you waiting for? Versus, hey, something's going on here. All of a sudden, it looks like I'm going to be a power five prospect. Maybe I should let this play out a little bit longer. And that's certainly the plan right now as they navigate through the process. But a guy that we're going to be well familiar with, I think, moving forward, he will be back on campus soon. He's not sure if he will be checking out other any other campuses. But something tells me that Josh Williams' days of needing to get to campuses to pick up offers might be done. They might be coming his way moving forward. And, and, and Mark, Kudos to Grace. I know she's not here on the podcast with us, but she was right there uh, by my side while we were documenting all this. And, and it was cool to work through uh, you know, her photos afterwards and kind of yeah. compare those to what we were documenting. So I thought it was really a good insight for our gallery and just another uh, you know example of the value that we get from Grace Brennan at Lions247.com. Well, thanks. And I mean, the other the other part about these this last or whatever it was, those that four-day stretch is having everybody here on staff being available for that was really big. Uh, in terms of being able to get to everywhere where we needed to be, because that was very complicated. The seven on seven is very <laughs> difficult because a lot of it's at the IM field, a lot of it's on the the, the practice fields, and to be able to have enough manpower and young woman power to to be able to get eyes everywhere or as many places as we can uh, is very helpful. So appreciate everybody's hard work. We'll be right back on the Lions twenty four seven podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I want to dive into the whiteout camp in just a moment, but I do want to finish just with the big man challenge on the defensive side of things. There's another 2026 guy to watch familiar school here, Malvern prep, uh, another in-state player and Cameron Brickle. Uh, The offers are starting to mount up for him. Southern Cal has entered the equation. So has Wisconsin. 
the Nittany Lions offered during his freshman season. He's 6'1", 290 pounds as a rising sophomore, and he carries that weight really well. When, when I think 290 pounds at that age, defensive tackle, you're a little bit wary about what that might look like, but he had a really strong get-off off the snap. This is a guy who seemed to really move well when he had to go lateral as well. He wasn't just relying on brute force, and I can tell you in this circumstance, in this setting, one-on-one against most of those linemen, he could rely on his strength and won 95% of those matchups, but it was nice to see him show off a little bit in the tool bag. He got some extra attention from Deion Barnes, and I just wanted to make sure we spotlighted that because we're going to get into some skill guys soon with whiteout camp, but Tyler in the trenches, that 2026 class, it's a good time to be the Nittany lions. When you've got these guys in your neighborhood and you've got the offers out already. Now you try to build up that foundation and, and you know, like a guy we saw Alexander Haskell who came in from St. Joe's prep, a very impressive 2026 defensive lineman. who was on campus Saturday. There's a lot of names across the state right now. Yeah, it's shaping up to be a potentially really special class, and I don't think that's hyperbole. I mean, you get out to a camp circuit and you watch these guys work, you just see that they ooze potential. And, you know, Penn State, with these guys being right in the backyard, they're going to all be priorities, right? These guys, all every guy that we're touching on in this 26 and even with 25s, they've got offers and they're priorities, you know, early on. They're definitely high on the board early. So it's just one of those things where you always, Sanders Franklin always talks about keeping the best players in Pennsylvania in Pennsylvania. And there's no way that these guys do not remain priorities. That's how talented they are. You know, it's always nice when you get to see them in camp early as underclassmen, and then you just watch the development as they continue. And then as upperclassmen, they're dominating on the field. You see them highly ranked, and you see Penn State heavily involved in those recruitments. I think when it, we discuss this 26 class, we're going to be talking about a lot of these guys moving forward as priorities when they are upperclassmen. Daniel, sit tight for a second because I'm going to throw it your way in a moment. We've got some roster updates to talk about with the 2023 football squad. But, Tyler, now that we've reached the end of camp season, the end of official visit season here in the month of June, first off, a big tip of the cap to you. Take some time for yourself if you can. I know I sent you home with a with a, with a stomach bug. My bad on that. But uh, you got stranded in State College. You left with what you left with. Uh, I want to know what you think about what happens next. Where are we with commitments being scheduled? Where are we with the priorities for Penn State staff aside from taking their wife and kids and going on vacation? What are we talking about with the 2024 recruiting class now that this chapter has ended? Well, it really starts Friday with DeAndre Cook. He starts the wave of commitments from priority Penn State targets. Cook is going to be announcing on June 30th, and Penn State is in a pretty good spot there. Crystal Ball reads 100% in favor of the Nittany Lions. That's one we anticipate getting done. Then July 1st, well, we July 1st was going to be a little bit busier until Dre Hawkins decided to move things up and commit to Florida yesterday. So that's a little bit less crowded of a date. But David Polly is going to be popping on July 1st, and it's looking like coming out of his official visit to USC, the Trojans have taken a lead, and they are in the best spot. This is going to be one that we're monitoring really closely moving forward because there have been times where Michigan was a leader. There have been times where Penn State was a leader. And there have now been times where USC is the leader, and that's really played out over the course of a month span. So I think uh, I, while USC is in the best spot right now, I think Polly Paul is going to take a step back, reevaluate everything, and see where things are ahead of his July 1st decision. But right now, USC has an edge. Trojans have to like where they're at. And moving past July 1st, you got Jalen Harvey on the 4th of July. He's going to be announcing his commitment on Independence Day. And we still like where Penn State is at to get that one done. You know, this has been a busy month for Harvey, you know, from going from telling the Penn State staff he was done on the visit front to deciding to not be done on the visit front, get to Florida, get to USC, get to Maryland, take those final three visits of the month before coming to a decision. 
think that was uh, that was something that was maybe unexpected coming out of his Penn State official visit, but it happened. And the Nittany Lions are still in a good spot. I think uh, I think State College is a place Jalen Harvey is very interested in being to play at the next level. But we're gonna have to see leading up to that July fourth decision. Marsh, we touched on him before. He's going on July seventh. I think Michigan State's back out in front at this point. Pittsburgh definitely involved in that race as a wild card as well. And then on July 8th, Malachi Williams, the in-state four-star edge rusher from one senior Bonner. Penn State, you know, Williams, he made it out to Syracuse and Pittsburgh for his official visits to close out the month. But Penn State set the bar really high, and they're going to be tough to beat with him when he announces on July 8th. So there's a lot going on, man. Official visit season might be over, but it's commitment season now. Yeah, the table's set, and we'll see what happens over the first couple of weeks of July and where things stand with this class. By the way, uh, moving parts, and they, they, keep, they keep adding new ones. Kamari Dixon, who's been committed to Boston College, safety prospect, picked up a Penn State offer on Friday. Tyler Caparuso has the story there. So some, another interesting uh, addition to the target board at this stage of the cycle. And I, I mentioned we're jumping into the roster conversation. We're not quite there yet because there was that much camp action. We had the whiteout <laughs> camp. I can't just skim over that one because it was awesome on Saturday. This is a little bit different of a setup than some of the other camps that we witnessed in June. More of an exclusive list, uh, uh, not you know hundreds of campers there that we're sorting through and trying to you know scatter photos across. A little bit easier to focus in on who you want to focus in on. And Daniel, you did a great job framing a lot of that with your notebook once again coming out of this uh, the Saturday action. And your notebook began with three commitments, a couple of whom in, in Brewer uh, and of Smith that we've seen very recently here on campus. Yeah, I, I think that Caleb Brewer spent a lot of time this month, the uh, offensive line or at jumbo athlete commit uh, out of Wyoming. <laughs> um, you know, he spent a lot of time uh, getting a lot of work in with Phil Troutwine and uh, and Frank Leonard this month. Um, you know, we saw him at the at two of the elite showcase camps uh, and then back for the whiteout camp. Um, you know, Corey Smith was Corey Smith was a lot of fun to watch. Um, over the course of, uh, you know, the, the two camps that we saw him at, um, you know, the running back from Wisconsin, he, he showed off some good feet. Um, it was fun to watch him line up at wide receiver uh, sometimes during one-on-ones, uh, get active in seven-on-seven. Seven. Uh, it, it was kind of what you want to see from a high-level running back commit where he just made things look very, very easy uh, with his ability to, you know, accelerate, uh, past defenders, uh, you know, he showed some some really good hands. Um, so, yeah, I think I was, you know, it was, it was nice to see those guys um, get to work, you know, to get extended looks at them. Um, and I think that that's something that that we're definitely going to, you know, take into this off season. Um, I think Brewer remains a, a really interesting prospect um, in terms of, you know, where Penn State sees him. Um, you know, he can play both sides. We saw him exclusively play. Um, or work on the offensive side of the ball uh, during these camp in this camp setting. Um, so what he does in his senior year at Wyoming, missing, you know, what kind of development uh, he makes, uh, I think will be really interesting when forecasting um, his college future. But, you know, he is someone where you can really see what Penn state has to work with there. Um, I think it's just a question of, of how it fits with him um, moving forward. Um, but you know, I think that the, the whiteout camp, it was, uh, you know, a really, really good selection of talent. Um, I liked a lot of the wide receivers uh, that we saw there, you know, as we, as we tended to split things up, uh, I spent a lot of time inside, uh, with the, the skill guys while you guys were, were on the outside. Um, and I think Lex Cyrus from Susquehanna Township, 
he was someone that Tyler Calvaruso and I had eyes on for most of the afternoon um, and that ended up with the offer um, just kind of made things look really, really easy um, in term at that wide receiver position um, on a day where the, the quarterback play, I think uh, there's some interesting quarterbacks there, uh, including Matt Zollers again, but you know, on the whole, you know, there wasn't an Ethan Gronkemeyer type um, back there. So to see these wide receivers kind of make things work in, in that kind of s- scenario um, I think was was you know, good to see, um, but it was a really, really nice collection of talent. Um, and I think it capped things very nicely in terms of, you know, the types of players that Penn State is looking for, guys they wanted to get extra extended looks at. And I think that that, that showed through in terms of who we highlighted and, and who stood out to us. Circling back to, to Corey Smith, it was his second camp in, in four days with J1 Sider for the four-star out of Wisconsin. Um, and you're right. I mean, the footwork is the first thing you go to. The one thing I noticed was Sider, first off, was throwing a lot. I think he only had five running backs he was working with instead of a huge collection. And, you know, we you know, some guys who aren't very talented. These were talented running backs, and he was pushing them. He was trying to make this as, as close, I think, to a Penn State practice atmosphere as he could. It's not going to be close to that in terms of intensity, but he was really trying to, to, to challenge these guys mentally and make them stay sharp while using their instincts to get through these you know bags bodies lessons and I think Corey Smith there was a little bit of a you know uh, from going inside the ears down to his toes a little bit of a delay over the course of of some of that drill work and he took some time and I think as he kind of recalibrated and they got into some one-on-one cat and mouse action against linebacker and as Jaywan said let those instincts take over instead of trying to think about everything Jaywan was telling him to do you saw what makes this kid a blue chip prospect once he got going in some of that downfield action working against defensive back that receiver really impressed with the footwork down uh when he, when he runs routes as well, just as he just as when he carries the football and just staying at the running back position, Messiah Mickens, uh, you know, earlier in the week, we saw Quentin Martin, who's committed to Penn State at the running back position in the 2024 cycle. And he's going to make a strong five star case, I think, as the 2025 class comes to a, a head and signing day approaches. Uh, but this is a kid in the 2026 class, Messiah Mickens, that he certainly fits the bill. Alabama has offered. Ohio State has offered. Penn State has offered. Uh, Jaywan Slater uh, was paying close attention. And when Corey Smith kind of drifted toward the back of the line for a stretch of camp, uh, he was the guy who stepped up and led these drills. And, and he did it pretty seamlessly in, in a way that you don't see a lot of rising sophomores do it. Really well built. I think he was in the 4-5 range in the 40-yard dash. And I know we all kind of came away with, with matching up Minkin's prospect profile with that offer sheet and certainly feeling like that one checked out. He just made it look pretty easy while also putting in a ton of effort. So the one other guy I wanted to make sure that we spotlighted here was Cooper Cousins, uh, another commitment on campus. And Mark, he is a lot of fun to watch, not only because he's, you know, he's got a big smile on his face most of the time, but when Phil Troutwine says, let's go, it's time to compete. He is a load to handle, and he'll tell you all about it in the trenches. I mean, this is a tone setter kind of presence for Penn State once he gets to campus, and you're already seeing that in effect on the camp scene working with Phil, with Phil Troutwine. Yeah, typically during one-on-ones at the camps, there's so many people, so many coaches, and, and so many prospects that it's very hard to see uh, the D-line, O-line one-on-ones. That wasn't the case. There was very few people, and while it didn't lend itself to video – Uh, We were able to get some unbelievable photos, and I've been kind of sitting on them to give people a a little bit of a rest from our photo galleries. Uh, But some of the stuff of him in the trenches is just unbelievable, whether he's grabbing someone by the neck or smushing their face in or or whatever. He has, to me, 
you look at that guy and he's like, I'm not saying he's going to be a day one player at Penn State, but if they needed somebody to play very early, and I don't think they will, he's that kind of physical presence, just a brawler and a mauler and a lot of fun to watch. And, you know, the other lineman who stood out to me, and I don't want to, to, to discount Caleb Brewer. The one thing I would say about Brewer is I think it was telling that we only saw him at, at the O-line and all the camps that we were there. And right. I think that says to me, because, Tyler, you made a good point, it would have been fun to see him at D-line. But what that tells me is that Penn State realizes he's a little bit raw, super athletic, but really raw, and they want to build him in even more at the, this camp level to, to that offensive lineman. But the other guy who stood out to me was Michael Carroll. Uh, he's the son of Mike Carroll, a former Penn State linebacker. I remember them being here pre-COVID when this kid was in eighth grade or something, and I knew Mike from covering him, and he rode up. Mike was like, actually brought his bicycle up and said, yeah, my, my son's here. And I saw his son then, and his son was big then. And now, I mean, he's a 25 offensive lineman, uh, 6'5", 300 pounds, and he had that same sort of aggressiveness as Cooper Cousins. What he didn't have was the footwork. He was really sloppy with his footwork, but you can see the potential that is there for this kid. He's big, he's long, he's physical. He has a little bit of a mean streak, but then after the, the rep, he's, he's smiling. Uh, and I just really liked what what I saw out of him. I thought he was, uh, you know, he picked up an offer afterward and it, it didn't surprise me uh, whatsoever. And then D-line, uh, Adam Shovlin, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. He had some yeah. great battles with Cooper Cousins. It, at one point, it was like one guy won one, and the next, and, and then Franklin says, go again. And, and then another guy, then the other guy won. And then it's like, hey, go for the third one. And I forget who came out on top. Cousins was really good, but that guy, wow. I mean, he was. He, I think we is, got it at 2 1 Cooper Cousins on, yeah. at the end of that the matchup. But yeah, it was fun. But, that was so cool to watch and both guys really enjoying it. And like, like, like you mentioned, cousins is a guy who's going to let you know as the play is going on, but after it's over, he's going to slap you on mm -hmm. the rear end and Hey, you know, everybody kind of respects everybody. So those two guys were, uh, you know, Carol, everybody knew about Cooper cousins, but Carol and Chauvelin were the guys who, who kind of stood out to me. Chauvelin's Actually one other that. guy who passed yeah. the eyeball test, who I thought was the most physically impressive person at that camp was Kyle Brady, 51-year-old Kyle Brady. <laughs> he was in, in town because for Letterman's weekend and because his son Kellen is a 24 uh, – yeah, 20, is he 24 20, – yeah, he's a 24 uh, tight end out of Florida. Not quite as big as Kyle, but Kyle Brady, he looks like he could put on the pads today and go out and play. So it was very cool to see him, and I know we'll get into it a little bit later, but – they had the uh, it was Letterman's weekend, and they had a bunch of Letterman at the camp, and that was just really cool to see. From OJ McDuffie uh, to Lavar Arrington, obviously Kim Herring, uh, you know, just very neat to see that, that those guys come and, and be a part of it. Uh, Mike Carroll, uh, Carroll's Carroll's uh, uh, the, the Michael Carroll's dad, uh, so it was fun to see all those guys be a, guys be a part of it. But Kyle Brady, I'm just telling you, people, if you were to see him, you could think he could go out and play in the NFL today.
Yeah, I, I I will co-sign that for sure. And 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 I I accidentally credited that whiteout camp notebook to Daniel because he did so many in June. But you were the man who wrote it, Tyler Calvaruso. So I apologize for not giving a proper due there. But I know that you actually spoke with Carol coming right off of this, right off of the high of the offer and and of the opportunity to camp. And then so you know what did you hear from Carol? Uh, you know the legacy offer. And then uh, Jadon Blair was another player that you caught up right in the aftermath of camp. Uh, who is offered four-star prospect, a safety out of Winston-Salem, North Carolina. He got to work in close proximity to Anthony Poindexter for the afternoon. And if there's any other prospects you want to throw out there before we shift the conversation to the current Penn State roster, go for it. Oh, no, I mean, just with Blair, you know, he told me pretty much that Penn State was one of the only places that he wanted to camp this summer. You know, he's, he's kind of – this was about him and his family getting up to Penn State, seeing what the coaching staff is like, how they work with players, how they interact – and they were really, really pleased with what they took away from Jadon's whiteout camp experience. And he's a, he, I definitely think that he is in the mold of Anthony Poindexter's safeties and what he likes out of his players at the position. He's long. He's physical. There's a lot. I mean, I think he's one of those guys you get him in a college strength and conditioning program, and he, he's got the chance to be special. Because, I mean, you see the length on him, and you see the ball skills that he has and the way he moves. He's very fluid, flips his hips well, not stiff at all, which, you know, for a player who's already six foot four, you know, he's still learning body control, but he's not stiff. He's already pretty much ahead of the curve in that regard. So that's a plus for him as a prospect. He might be back for Lash Bash in July. We're going to have to see what his plan is there because he has invitations to go elsewhere. But Blair is high on Penn State early in his process. I think he's going to remain high on Penn State early in his process as long as the staff stays on him. And there were so many just high-quality recruits who made it to that whiteout camp. It was really, really impressive. It was one that we had circled on our calendar for a while, given its exclusivity. And, you know, just being able to see so many high-level recruits in one location, we got that. You know, Rowan Byrne was a three-star tackle who – or actually, we don't have him ranked yet, but he's trending towards being one of those high three-star, low four-star guys from New York. He made the trip to campus, drilled really well, tested well. He had a good afternoon working with Phil Charwin. I'm going to have up something with him up on the site relatively soon. He really loved his experience, and he's looking forward to getting back. So, really, you know, all these names that we've covered so far today on this episode, I mean, it's just the tip of the iceberg, man. There was a girth of talent in town, and we could we could dedicate multiple episodes to it, to be honest. But, you know, all these guys that we're mentioning today, we're going to be mentioning them moving forward because they've got offers, and they're going to be priorities. And we'll say it again, Alexander Haskell, 2026 yep. defensive lineman out of, out of Philadelphia, St. Joe's Prep. Yeah, the, the word's out on him. He's going to be a player to know. He picked up his offer at an earlier June camp. He was impressive. And just going back to Mickens, I don't even think I referenced where he is from. Uh, he's a guy who actually plays for a former Nittany Lion, just to keep that in mind, and Jordan Hill. Um, so just – you know, the tie there with Trinity uh, at in Camp Hill, Pennsylvania, uh, for a young player uh, who came on strong as a freshman and has everybody chasing him now in the Power Five level. It seems like and Mike um, Motti's an assistant there. Oh, that's right. So a major Penn State presence, and I'll tell you what, Messiah Mickens. Um, you know, there's a lot of names, but he may have been the most impressive uh, athlete, prospect, ath whatever you want to call it, participant at the camp, regardless of position that that I personally saw and. He's only going to be a sophomore there at Trinity in 2023. Uh, Daniel, as I promised a while ago, let's dive into the updated 2023 Penn State roster. We had a chance to see that roster in person at th on Thursday uh, in Haluba Hall, which was the Lift for Life event. Uh, appreciate them for opening the doors to, uh, for us. That bunch of photo uh, up there. There was alumni presence. Uh, there was the freshman presence. We'll talk about some takeaways, but 
just talking numbers here, you had a nice detailed breakdown position by position, working your way through uh, guys who went through some body transformations since we last saw a roster update from Penn State. Kind of work our way through that and who our listeners need to know is on the, the kind of trending in a different direction than maybe last time they had eyes on them. Definitely. I, I think the one thing with, with covering Penn State that has been kind of cool for me coming from other places I've covered is that that roster is really an evolving document um, over the course of, of, a, of a year, of a season um, with some of the updates that you get. And so you, know, you have to be checking it every once in a while to see you know, what's different. And you know, we had one of those updates late last week. I went through it yesterday. And I think when you're talking about you know, gainers and, and that type and transformations, I think the best place to start is really in the trenches um, with that because I think that's where that kind of size matters the most. Um, I think that one person who uh, would really took uh, a lot of attention uh, over the course of last year and in this offseason is Hakeem Beeman, uh, the redshirt senior defensive tackle. Um, he was listed at 256 pounds last year um, and, you know, I think looked uh, 256 for, for most of the year. Um, he's up to 284 on the latest update. Um, you know, we saw him walking around at, at Lift for Life on Thursday and he did look a little bit bigger to me. Um, you know, it can be hard sometimes to quantify that, but I think that looking at him, I thought, okay, you know, he's someone that, um, you know, James Franklin has talked about wanting his guys to get bigger. Uh, Hakeem Beeman is someone who it appears, um, you know, that, that message has, has stuck with, um, and then also at defensive tackle, Jordan Vandenberg, uh, up to 301. He was previously listed at 286. Um, you know, he's someone that, really has a great reputation for what he's able to do in the weight room um, in terms of the numbers that he puts up there. Um, I think he's also well-regarded for his, his athleticism. Um, and, you know, he, he's someone who had a very, you know, kind of weird first year and year, two years of his college career where he was at the Juco level. Uh, and then suddenly <laughs> all of a sudden was on Penn state's roster, you know, playing in the big 10. Um, he has a lot of eligibility left. So, um, you know, when you talk about how that interior of the defensive line stacks up, um, I think we talked about it a couple weeks ago where he's someone who can be kind of an, an X factor in terms of, you know, tipping the scales on, you know, how this group performs if he does take these steps forward. Um, and then Alonzo Ford, uh, the transfer from Old Dominion, he was listed at 272 last year. He's listed at 287 now. Um, Chuck Losey talked about it earlier this month about how they kind of view him a little bit more as a developmental prospect. Um, he has three years left to play too. Uh, he'll be a true junior this year. Um, and given what Penn State has on the interior, I think that they can kind of wait and see how they want to use him, how exactly this shakes out uh, for him, for Ford on the interior. Um, so I think on the defensive side of the ball, those are the names that stuck out. You know, Zane Durant's up to 280. Caleb Artis is up to 320. Ty Blanding, uh, the freshman, is at 276. Um, you know, those are kind of guys that that you're going to want to watch. Um, you know, Devon Elise, Keziah Izzard, in the same range that they were last year. Um, and then quickly flipping over to the offensive side of the ball, um, I think the big gainer that really popped out there is Caden Wallace, uh, who was listed at, at 341 pounds. He was listed at 301 pounds over the course of last season. Um, I think that that'll be interesting to see, you know, whether that sticks uh, in the latest update. You know, I think that we saw it with, um, you know, the latest update. There were a lot of the, a couple of these linemen 
uh, you know, went up. You know, Olu Fashionu was at 308 last year. Uh, he was at 323 at an earlier update, um, and now he's down to 319. So, you know, what guys are listed at now might not be what they're going to be taking the field at uh, against West Virginia. Um, but Wallace definitely popped out there to me. Um, and then the freshmen, you know, Alex Birchmeyer is up to 301 pounds. Anthony Donko is up to 335. Um, and then Javen Williams holding steady at 313. I think to have those guys, you know, bulked up and at that size already, you know, they might not necessarily need to contribute right away. Um, but I think that they, if they need to be called upon, I think that they will be ready. You know, when Penn State brought in Drew Shelton last year, he was someone that, you know, they really did transform his body. I think that he was down to 276 pounds at one point during the offseason. Uh, you know, they built him up to 308 at this point, you know, but to have these freshmen, this group of guys already, you know, at that kind of size, already going through the program after enrolling early, um, you know, I think it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out um, in the trenches. But, you know, there's there's a lot of names on there. I listed every single person on the <laughs> roster. Um, and you a lot know, of when, work. It was yeah. It's a, it was a ni- nice little refresher uh, for yeah. You know, for to get see the names again and you know really remember some of the guys on the team. But you can go read that. Um, I don't know if there's anything else that stood out to you guys, but I figured I would start in the trenches since uh, James Franklin has made that a little bit of a topic of conversation. I got. I just have a few things here, and 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 you mentioned the freshman. I do want to get some thoughts from Tyler Calvaruso before we close the book on the roster conversation in a second. But um, uh, Donka stood out to me among those freshmen, just in terms of a guy who has really grown up in a hurry. He's at three thirty-five now, and he's angular. Like he he's a the, the way he's built at three thirty-five. There, there doesn't look like to be much sloppiness to it. Which if you think three thirty-five for a freshman, you may be thinking a different different kind of uh, you know form of physique than what Anthony Donka is carrying around right now. And if you want to look at that quarterback room, one of these things is not like the others. Uh, Bo Prabula weighs 206 pounds. Jackson Smolik weighs 205 pounds. Drew Aller weighs 243 pounds as a sophomore quarterback. And my mind goes to, or my eyes are, are, you know, gravitate towards that tight end position as well with these weights. Jerry Cross up to 257 pounds as a redshirt freshman. Theo Johnson is 264 pounds and he looks it. We saw him out there wearing short shorts and and a compression top. And he looks like he could be, you know, pushing his way towards 270 pounds right now. And, and we know how he can move at that size. Andrew Rappelier, I talked about this. He might be my first pick at that in the you know recess pick'em situation with this freshman class, based on just these guys standing around in shorts and a t-shirt throwing the ball around. Andrew Rapier, freshman tight end, just got to campus, two hundred and fifty-three pounds, and then you've got Tyler Warren, two fifty-nine. So Joey Schlafer, two hundred and thirty. He looks like he's about two hundred and five because of the group that he's standing among. And, and Mark, uh, I mean, look, it was a great event there, live for life. Obviously, um, what happens there and and, the, and the, where the money goes and and, and what it's benefit now for 20 years goes far beyond the football stuff but what we're looking at from our perspective is very much about what these 2023 lines are going to do every time we get into those facilities we're trying to learn a little bit more about them what did you learn on thursday yeah one thing that i would i'd love to throw out there just on on the mm-hmm. lift for life end of it is you know i've been i think i'm one of the few people who's been at every single one of these and, and i've talked to a lot of people about the event and I don't think anybody could have phrased it better than Curtis Jacobs did. And I'm paraphrasing. I would encourage you to to read Daniel's story. Uh, 
but he, you know, he, he basically what he said is in an era where a lot of athletes are like me, 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 I got to get NIL. I got to do this. I got to do this. It's good to take a step back and do something that's going to raise money for other people. And what lift for life raises money for is the fight uh, against rare diseases uh, via Penn state chapter of uplifting athletes. So Curtis Jacobs is just a super smart dude. And, you know, to, for him to phrase it, to kind of put it that way, uh, is just something else. But from a pure football perspective, it just amazes me every year. It's 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 getting more and more that you see these true freshmen coming in and just looking like they've already been in a college weight room. I mean, uh, Joseph Mopoye, how do you pronounce that? Mopoye, yeah, you're yeah. right there. And he he looks like he's about 25 visiting from an NFL team, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, and he, he's 253. I mean, this is a guy, you know, this is a, an 18-year-old kid or however however old he is. It, it's just crazy. It, and you mentioned a tight end. I mean, these guys, it's like some of them come in and they're a little thin – uh, but the the way that so many of these guys are put together, and that's one of the cool things about Lift for Life, is that if you go to it, you can contribute to a good cause, but then you could also see these brand new players. And then if you have a kid, you could have your kid go out and be playing and doing stuff with, with, with these young players. So all of that kind of – I know everybody's focused on football, 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 but just the way some of these guys pass the eyeball test, uh, right off the bat, you mentioned Blanding. He was bigger than I expected him to be, and he still looks like he has room to grow. Um, Rapelier, I mean, it's just I, I stood next to that guy, and I'm like, wow, you can't imagine that this guy's a freshman. And, you know, the one guy I got to give a shout out to, and not just for Lift for Life and the way that he looks, is Javen Williams. I mean, that guy. He was at, I think, every one of those camps working with the offensive linemen, and he was mm -hmm. like an instructor out there. And it's and it's like, it's hard to wrap your head around the fact that this guy just got on campus in January, and he's out there instructing kids. Or basically, I'm sure some of them are his age, and some of them are maybe a year a year or two younger. But just being out there and being that mature and that advanced to go from being the guy who was in this these camps last year to now all of a sudden he's out there. And again, I know I'm kind of bouncing back and forth, but the way that he carries that 313 pounds, you know, for a true freshman, wow, he passes the eyeball test. So a lot of different guys, and that's why we like to run those photo galleries so everybody can kind of see for themselves. Uh, just it, it really stands out, I think, overall, how every year it seems that the classes, they just seem to be more and more and more physically prepared as they arrive. And, and as we've been referencing a lot, Dakari Nelson, the safety, 217 pounds, six foot four, whatever, six foot three. We've seen him at every single event, it seems. And you just forget that he just showed up in May. Um, and someone who just did show up is Chimdi Ono, 275 pounds. He completes this freshman class. It's always good to have everybody in the nest this time of year. You're not getting into late July wondering if someone's going to get to campus for the first practice or the first game. They're here. That's a great and Sometimes thing. that doesn't work out so well when they don't arrive until the three days before camp starts, right? Precisely. <laughs> uh, and, and Tyler Calvaruso, uh, uh, we'll work on this quickly because we're down to about 10 minutes, and I do want to jump to some basketball conversation with the NBA draft results and with the commitment for Penn State. But Chimdi, up to 275 right now. First off, that's a great thing. Remember, he's a build-up kind of prospect, the late bloomer, committed to Old Dominion as a senior, ended up in the top 24-7. What do we make of his prospect profile as he gets to campus here, Tyler? And what's kind of the final bow now that the freshman class has assembled in Happy Valley? 
you know, and you pointed it out to me, Ty, he's really put together, you know, he's definitely his upper body. Everything's a lot more clean, you know, than maybe we were anticipating the, the masses there. And it, it, he's looking good, man. He, he's looking good now that he's on campus. And it's going to be interesting to see what he can accomplish in the weight room. You know, we've touched on this with Ono. He's really a guy that you stash him away for a little bit. You let him develop. He's going to be a redshirt guy this year. I would assume. And, you know, we revisit this in a year or two from now. And I think he's got big time potential in that regard. You know, you see the measurables, you see the athleticism that he's showcased throughout his high school career in Dundalk. I think, um, you know, once he accomplishes what he needs to accomplish in the shadows on the development front, I think you're looking at a potential starter in the Big Ten. I think he does have that in him. Does he have hurdles to clear on the development front? Yes. Does he have objectives that he's going to have to meet? Yes, but if he gets there, you're looking at a potential big-time player. I think he's definitely got that in him. And that's the reason why he was such a riser late in the cycle in the rankings. I mean, closing as a top 24-7. He was committed to Old Dominion, and then he closes in the top 24-7. It's not something that happens often. So clearly the potential is there. Now it's about him putting it together. Yeah, and he comes to campus. He'll be working at tackle. Javen Williams is working at tackle. He's working his way towards maybe being the fourth tackle for this team and, and being game ready. And Alex Birchmeyer, who saw a lot of action at tackle during the spring, now going to be more of a focus on the interior as they load up Ono on the perimeter. And then, of course, Anthony Donka, who I just mentioned, playing at guard. And those are your just the four freshmen. And the unbelievable thing, if you want to check in on the health status of this offensive line room, we're not talking about any of those guys being – primary factors for this Penn State offense in 2023 a lot of these dudes get to campus for different Penn State squads different years they got to play and they got to play a bunch right away so different reality right now for Phil Trotwine's group different reality for Penn State basketball Daniel Gallon. two <laughs> draft picks how do you like that segue you did great coverage last Thursday you were well prepared for this one Andrew Funk also gets an opportunity Give us the summary of draft night and the ramifications for Penn State basketball because this is the kind of evening that we'll see if it has you know any kind of domino effect moving forward, but I think it really showcases how special that tournament run that we just saw was. Yeah, th that's exactly right. I think that this really kind of was a nice coda to the season that, that Penn State just had um, in terms of you know three, <laughs> three of those five uh, key seniors. Uh, getting opportunities uh, in the NBA. Uh, Jalen Pickett is the the first one off the board at number 32 overall uh, to the reigning champs, the Denver Nuggets. Uh, he was picked by Calvin Booth, uh, the former Penn State great that uh, Mark wrote about earlier this month before the Nuggets uh, won the title. Um, and then, you know, a couple picks later, Seth Lundy goes to the Atlanta Hawks at number 46 overall. Um, and then on Friday, uh, we find out that Andrew Funk uh, is continuing that little Penn State Denver Nuggets pipeline by you know, he's going to be playing with Denver in summer league uh, in Vegas next month. Um, and I believe one of the first or second games for the Nuggets will be against the Hawks. So I know I think Penn State basketball fans don't normally have uh, a lot of reasons to watch summer league or, you know, basketball at this time of year. Uh, that's going to change a little bit next month but you know i think that it is a really really good showing uh for penn state um you know i saw a graphic that you know they're one of uh i forget if it was 10 or 12 teams uh to have multiple players taken in the draft obviously you were only dealing with 58 picks it's a little bit of a different animal um but i think that both uh both teams or both players also landed uh in really good spots too um, I was you know, reading some reviews about Pickett and they said that 
you know, he was kind of a you know a weird player to forecast because he has a different style of play. Um, you know, you don't he's not necessarily a, a top end athlete or a top end shooter. And he landed in one of the places where um, I think a lot of analysts think that he can really thrive because Nuggets are already used to playing with a little bit of an unorthodox playmaker when you talk about Nikola Jokic. Um, and I watched uh, his intro press conference and Calvin Booth talked about how with all three of the players that the Nuggets picked, they were looking for different archetypes that they didn't have on the roster already. You know, so this is a this is a franchise that saw Pickett envisions a, a way that he can really work in their offense and then went and got him a lot earlier than I think a lot of people were expecting them to, uh, even myself included. Um, and as for Seth Lundy, uh, he's you know, I think he's going to have a lot of opportunities um, to shoot the ball. Um, I think that that's you know, what his role is going to be uh, in the NBA. He showed that he can do that at a good level last year, you know, putting guys around the playmaker like Trey Young. Um, you know, that's also a franchise that has made a couple moves that's going, going to have to make a couple moves to cut some costs and get salary cap compliant. And as young talent, young, cheap talent as a second round pick, I think that that might help open a little bit of a path for Lundy uh, to, you know, get onto the court more and, and be able to get opportunities. So, you know, I think a really, really cool night uh, for Penn State. You know, I think that, you know, both of those guys, you know, Pickett came here uh, from Siena, was only here for two years, but, you know, leaves as, you know, a, a program great, you know, a second team All-American. Um, you know, Lundy was someone who came in with, you know, some hype as kind of the next guy out of Roman Catholic, you know, showed a lot of promise when he was in high school. Um, you know, it took a little bit for it to click with him, but when it did click, you know, I think we saw a really, really good, consistent player, you know, who did a lot for Penn State, especially when you factor in the fact, when you factor in that he stayed when he didn't have to um, after the coaching change a couple of years ago. So a you know, really cool capper uh, to this season, um, you know, what this means for Penn State basketball moving forward, we'll see. But, you know, I think that over, you know, it's June now, the NCAA tournament run was a little bit more than, you know, three months ago at this point. You know, I think that this is kind of the the most that Penn State basketball has really been, you know, out there in the headlines, you know, out front uh, in a long time. And, you know, I think it's, it's very, very cool for the program and, and for these players. Mark, uh, just quickly here, because I do want to get a little bit of attention on the on the uh, commitment for Penn State basketball before we all say goodbye. Um, just kind of uh, your reaction to how things shook out for for this trio of former Nittany Lions who covered their entire career here at Penn State, and obviously very cool to see the defending champions load up on some Nittany Lions like this. Yeah, well, I think I, I'd rather give a, bit, a greater context of this whole thing. I yeah. mean, if you think Go about it, it, you had Calvin Booth drafted in 1999, kind of you know interesting that that he plays a part in this and then you had tony carr i think it was 17 or 18 whatever year 18. that was yeah and, and i mean so so that was it you know you had tony carr is it this century and now you have two guys go in in an hour of each other you know i think that speaks to the job that micah shrewsbury was able to do uh not that he necessarily recruited seth lundy but in keeping him here and then going out and getting picket uh, and I think that's something it's kind of setting a high bar for Mike Rhodes and the kind of talent that you're going to need to compete at the level that that Penn State wants to be able to compete. The other thing I would say about Lundy, Daniel, is uh, obviously three-point shooting was big for him. Uh, he, he was just unbelievable at the NBA scouting combine. 
But I also think he can be a three and D type guy at that next level. He was a really good defender at Penn State. It's a completely different animal at the, at, in the NBA, but he is good enough defensively to hold his own. I'm not saying he's going to be a shutdown defender, but he is good enough that that could help him get get more minutes than a player who all he does is JJ Redick go out there and shoot. I'm not suggesting he's as good a shooter as JJ Redick, but I am suggesting he's probably a hundred times better defender than JJ Redick. So. He has that going for him. But I think the whole context of it, that you go all those years with no draft picks. And then I think before Calvin Booth, it was, you know, back in the early 80s, maybe, or 70s, back when it was a much longer draft. But to have two guys go within an hour of each other, I think was unbelievable. Let's punctuate it here, fellas. Uh, it, a commitment on Monday night for Penn State basketball. Mike Rhodes first, and, and they're underway with the 2024 class. It's Javen Carter from Alcoa, Tennessee. He's a guard. And Daniel Gallon, you had the late night story up. I got to read it early morning. Uh, but you know, what is Penn State beginning uh, off the 2024 class? It's been dominated by transfer pickups, uh, everything personnel related. They have the one international pickup late for the 2023 class. But it's our first chance to see them tap into an American high school and, and grab a guard. Yeah, I think some of the the context for what Penn State is going to be working with with this class of 2024, um, you know, they're guaranteed to have three open spots on the roster next year uh, with guys with expiring eligibility. Then you have two true seniors who are going to have to make a decision about whether or not to use their COVID years. So, you know, before you even factor in the transfer portal, which we probably will at some point, you're working with three to five open slots. Um, so Javen Carter is the, the first uh, one that you pencil in uh, for the 2024-2025 season. He's a six foot two guard from Tennessee, uh, two-time All-State selection uh, at his level, Class 2A. Uh, he led Alcoa to the Class 2A uh, state championship last year, scored a game-winning basket uh, with two seconds left. Um, I watched that highlight a couple times last night and just kind of a you know, really nice, uh, you know, classic game-winning play of a guy taking the ball the the length of the court all by himself, uh, and then making the decision to go score. Um, Average twenty-seven and five uh, for Alcoa last year. Um, seems to have gotten off to a good start um, on the AAU circuit. Uh, he's playing for the, the Under Armour Association or on the Under Armour uh, circuit. Um, this summer. So, you know, he'll be someone to watch. Uh, his only reported offers were Middle Tennessee State and Georgia Tech. Um, and he was, he, Penn State offered him on, on June 16th um, in kind of a, the middle of a pretty big run um, of offers uh, across both the class of 2024 and 2025. So, you know, I think that, you know, Tennessee has produced some really good basketball players in recent years. You know, Brandon Miller, the number two pick uh, in the draft, is from Tennessee, but it's not necessarily an, an area that I had on my radar um, as a place that Penn State would really dip into. So, you know, I think that it's a really interesting start to the class. Um, you know, I think that we've seen that Rhodes really likes to have, you know, he really likes his guards when you talk about a guy like Ace Baldwin, you know, someone that you can kind of build around, um, you know, a team around. So I'm curious to see what the rest of this class looks like. Um, I'm you know, really interested in learning more uh, about Javen Carter. You know, he's, he's not ranked by us yet. Um, you know, I, I need to watch it. He's a 15 minute highlight tape and I only watched about three minutes last night. So I have some, some viewing to do later today. 
Um, but I think that he's an interesting prospect. It's an interesting start. Um, I think once you get one guy in the boat, um, I think that that just kind of helps um, overall in terms of momentum, in terms of moving this thing forward. So we'll, we'll, we'll see where it goes from here. Guard on board for the 2024 class. A guard is the headliner for that transfer class with Ace Baldwin, as you said, and, and really a key roster retention with Kanye Clary and Jamil Brown as well in the backcourt as the basketball program continues to evolve under new leadership. Guys, I appreciate it. We're over an hour and 20 minutes. Y'all get back to the rest of your lives. Get back to work, whatever you have going on. Daniel, enjoy your lunch out with your dear friends. Uh, Mark, appreciate your perspective. And again, big shout out to Grace Brennan, not with us on the podcast, but was with us every step of the way our coverage at lines 24 7 we've got some exciting stuff planned for our next episode of the podcast right here on thursday so stick around i think you'll enjoy the guests that we have lined up for now stepping aside on behalf of tyler calvaruso daniel gowan mark brennan and our entire lines 24 7 team i'm tyler donahue this has been the lines 24 7 podcast paramount plus and the national park foundation present a mountain of zen are you still listening good take a deep breath You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.